uh, Michigan at a Katina ceremony, which is which is a ceremony that ends the Wassa, which is the rains retreat that uh, monastics have always taken part in in uh, Asia and India. And in this country, it's not our rainy season. You know, our rainy, we don't have a rainy season, and it doesn't match up. But it's still traditionally, uh, usually, usually uh, like July, August, and September. So the ceremony that ends that, which is just a traditional ceremony, a cultural ceremony, is, is a robe ceremony. So typically people would bring things at the end of the rainy season, and during the rainy season, monks and nuns are, it's kind of a retreat. Um, they don't do as much and you don't travel. You notice at Blue Lotus we don't actually follow that very strictly. <laughs> um, but at the end of rainy season, typically people in the Sangha would bring the monks and the nuns new robes, uh, material for them to make robes, and bring them all the provisions that they need, medicines that they need, food, and that was, that's become just a ceremony. And so we don't do that here because we're not, a, uh, an, we're not an ethnic temple, and we probably don't need another ceremony. But, the, but uh, in Michigan and in Indiana, they do those ceremonies, and so Bhante Suman is in Michigan, representing Blue Lotus there, and Bhante's in uh, New Mexico. So today it's me. So what I, what I wanted to talk a little bit about, a couple of things. One is how important we are in this period of uh, growth of our Sangha. What a, what a really historical period this is, and a unique situation even in this country. But I'd like to talk a little bit about our precepts and um, what, what do we do with precepts. Now, some of you have gone through the precept ceremony, so you've, you've kind of officially taken on the precepts as part of your training. And you may have taken the uh, the five precepts, or the eight precepts, or the bodhisattva precepts. And sometimes people may be meditating for years and years, but they don't even know what the precepts are. And I think what, we're, what we really need to continue to focus on in this country, in this sangha, uh, is our relationship to the sangha, to the precepts, and to our meditation practice. And if we want to have the full experience and get the maximum out of our practice, we need to incorporate all of those things. The precepts are very important. The precepts are telling us and giving us a way to learn how to live in the world and how to be a moral, ethical person. And our practice is just one part of what we're doing. And then the Sangha is the other part. And I'm not just talking about the Sangha of monastics, but the Sangha that means all of us, our community of all the people who come to Blue Lotus. And that, you know, the Buddha always said and told Ananda that friendship is not just part of our practice. Friendship with our noble friends is really all of our practice. So our relationship to this Sangha, to, to, you know, look at the people around you. 
Like literally, right now, look at the people around you. And look at their faces and notice, do I know that person? You know, have I introduced myself to that person? Uh, you know, is that someone that I'm very comfortable with and someone else, maybe someone I've never met? This is, the, the, the role of our Sangha is absolutely critical because these are the people that we can, the, the people we can talk to, the people we share values with. This is our community. We're fellow practitioners. We don't, we don't think alike on everything, but the reason that we've all come here is tells us that we have something in common. And we probably have more in common that we can share and discover about each other than we, than we ever feel like we have the time to do. But if you have a young family, or if no family, or if you're, you know, your family's grown and out of the home, we all have uh, a need for friendship with each other. And those relationships are more and more important the more we begin to live our precepts and the, the deeper we go into our practice. But we, we have to be very careful not to just choose one over the others if we want to have the deepest experience with our meditation practice. If we, we may, you may never want to call yourself a Buddhist, but if you want the full range of what you can get from this practice, it includes living your precepts, being really connected and uh, part of the Sangha, and it also includes our meditation practice. But that's not the whole enchilada. You know, the other, the other parts are critically important. And when I talk about the precepts, I'm talking about not just knowing what they are, but every day living the precepts more and more. You know, when, when I lead the meditation, I always say, your meditation from day to day may be lousy one day, may make you feel good another day, and it just will be most other days. But, so, so you don't measure progress like, oh, I'm sitting without wiggling, or my mind is perfectly still. That's not how we measure our meditation project, our, our meditation. We, we measure meditation just by, we just keep doing it and we have no expectations about how it's going to be, but we know, we have the confidence that it is working, it's making our lives work better. But when we live our precepts, we can every day make a commitment to that training that a little, we'll explore those precepts a little bit more every day. We'll go a little bit deeper in our precepts. And I know all of you have you know, different, you're working with different precepts. But the five basic precepts, I think I've got these because I got Todd to make sure I had them right before you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm going to just, uh, I'll, exp I'll just give you the brief precept and then we'll talk a little bit more about them. But the first precept is, uh, sometimes you hear it, to kill no living thing or to do harm don't do harm to yourself or to any other living thing. Don't take something that isn't given to you. Don't steal. Uh, don't tell lies. Only tell the truth. Um, don't engage in sexual misconduct. 
and uh, don't partake of intoxicants or drugs that cloud your mind. So those are the five basic precepts that we start with. And that's probably many, many, many lifetimes to work on those precepts. And sometimes we think, okay, we've got those down pat. You know, we know we're a moral, ethical person, and we don't need to take precepts. We don't need to uh, commit to anything. That, those are just, the, that's just who we are. But the reason, what we commit to when we do the precept ceremony or when, when we undertake the precepts, we're committing to the training process. We're committing to living those precepts. And when we live in a world like we live in today, which is probably the same as it's always been, but when we live in a world where there is so much uh, awareness of the pain and suffering of other people, and we see wars being started and hurricanes devastating places and entire countries. When we see that, and we can see it because we've got the media drawing our attention to it all the time, when we see that, we can understand clearly we're not all living the precepts. You know, we see, we see the worst in people usually when we focus on the media because that's what the, what, what, is exciting. So it's not that these are things that, oh well, we all take them for granted because obviously everyone practices the precepts. Well, they don't. And we can't make other people practice the precepts. The most we can do is just to continually go deeper in our precepts for ourselves. The only way we can be any kind of a role model or an example to anyone else is just it's just how deeply we're going with our precepts, how real they are for us, and how much they will show, you know, how much they shine out to other people. It doesn't do any good to try to tell anyone else what they should do. So when we look at uh, our precepts, it's also another reason for us to feel a strong <coughs> connection to the Sangha, because this is a group of people who can understand, you know, we're, we're kind of operating with the same ground rules. So we understand. You can talk to someone else in this group about the precepts and how difficult it may be or what you're working with. And there could be a better, there may be a better understanding with other people who are in that same process. So think about what does it mean not to harm yourself, not to harm others. It's just, it's not about just uh, whether we kill things or not. It's about uh, harm that we do to ourselves. It's about harm we do to any other living thing or to our planet. And when we talk about uh, not telling lies, we're talking about always speaking the truth. But then if you, you know, when you, when you look at the suttas, the Buddha had lots of discussions with people about when it's appropriate to speak the truth and when to keep silent. And so it's not just learning out the truth every, you know, every time that you think that it's uh, your job to speak the truth. The Buddha talked about, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it the right time? Uh, is, it, is it appropriate for you to be involved? You know, there are all kinds of layers of being a truth speaker. And a lot of times it's much better for us to practice silence than it is to just be speaking because we think something's true. 
So we can always work on those. And she's okay for her to be up here. When we think about uh, uh, the other precepts, we're always looking at them in a deeper way. We, we may need to check out some things, go online and find out what is right speech. You know, they find out some of the things. The Buddha gave us wonderful instructions on when to be silent, when to speak, when to know what to say, when to know when it's not appropriate for us to speak. And uh, those are always things that we can develop. And all of us know, once we've said something, it's too late to go back. It's too late to apologize. It's too late to, you know, we can't do take backs anymore. So our speech is critically important. Um, our other behaviors, uh, not taking what isn't given to us. Now for monastics, that, that taking what isn't given to us is clearly uh, that we are, we are not supposed to ask for anything and everything in the traditional Buddhist culture would just, would be given to us or we wouldn't, <clears throat> you know, our meals would be given to us or we wouldn't eat. But for the rest of us, we can think of that as uh, not stealing, not taking more than we need, not being greedy, not being selfish. So uh, it's easy for most of us to stay, well, say, well, I don't steal, so I've got that one down pat. <clears throat> but do we, sometimes, uh, do we sometimes take more than we need? You know, are we, are we taking things from the earth and it might be better for us to be a little bit more careful about how we treat the earth? So, um, think about those precepts. Think of yourself not as, uh, they're not the Ten Commandments. They're not rules that we have to obey. These are the ways that we can learn to refine ourselves, to cultivate ourselves. We think of our meditation practice as cultivation, mental cultivation, but the precepts that we take are the, is the cultivation of that, that part of us that lives in this world. So we need to cultivate not just our mind, but our, our ethical, moral lives and the way we interact with people. And the, the last thing I want to mention, um, Blue Lotus Temple is, we are, we are really in a unique place, I think, in the history of this country. Because Buddhism is a very new practice. And there are very few Western temples where everything except the chanting is done in English, where we have the opportunity to learn the Pali so we can understand the chanting. You know, we, everything that we do is in English, and we welcome everyone, but, but this, is a, this is truly a rare opportunity for us to be able to have a place to come and practice and uh, share with others, to develop a Sangha, and uh, include our families and our friends and always feel like they're, everyone is welcome. So in, in, even in history, this is a very special point in the history of mindfulness and meditation practice and Buddhism in this country. So um, really be, try to be as mindful of that as you can be. This is a place that if you move somewhere else, you may never experience something like Blue Lotus Temple again. 
know, this is a connection that we, there's a reason we're all here. It's not just coincidence. Now, these are the people who made it happen. And you were the people who, who were in the, on these cushions and in these seats. And this is your temple. So you may notice our schedule is getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And there's more and more stuff going on. Participate in any of that that, that that you're interested in, any of that that calls to you. Don't feel that you have to do everything. One of the reasons that you see so many things on the schedule is that we are trying to be more of a community center and the groups who are coming are helping us pay the mortgage. And they're groups that feel good here. They like that some of their money goes to keeping our <coughs> temple going. They may, not, they may be from different spiritual groups. They may not have anything like this. So the same way Blue Lotus was 10 years in the basement of the Unitarian Church, a lot of the people coming now and holding groups, they're kind of like Blue, they may be like Blue Lotus 10 years ago. And we need to be as welcoming to them. It may not be our thing, it may not be something we're interested in, but we, we are becoming a place where you know, people can come and feel good, feel welcome, they know that a portion of everything they do is going to help keep this place going. So it's, they would much prefer to do that than to go somewhere uh, where they may not even you know, understand what the general purpose of the physical space is. But they need a place to practice. They need a place to offer what they do. So uh, uh, try not, sometimes I feel overwhelmed because of what I have to do to make all this stuff happen. But try not to let it overwhelm you. We're not trying to tell you, you have to come to all this stuff. But we have wonderful things going on. And it's, it, if you go on Facebook or the website or all the stuff that we have up here, you can, you, you can see things and some things will call to you and some things won't, don't work for you at all. But we will always, first and foremost, be a Sangha where you can come to practice. This room will almost never be used for anything else other than meditation, for Dhamma talks, for you know our blessing ceremony that's coming up very soon. So this room is always here for you to come and practice, whether there's a, a service or not. But the space downstairs uh, will be used by lots of different groups and um, you know, little by little, there'll be things that you really want to do. So uh, be aware, be mindful that there'll be other groups in the building. They're helping us, and we can help them. And be aware that this is such a precious opportunity, that everything we can do to make Blue Lotus continue and happen is, is, a, is a blessing for this building and the future of this building. But it's a blessing right back to us because this is our place. So, Buddha kids, are they all going to the, are they all going to the bathroom? <laughs>